I am super excited to share this episode with you today. I've been wanting to do an episode on mental health for quite a while now. I just don't think that we're having the kinds of conversations that we need to be having about mental health. It, to me, it's odd that we can talk about physical health, we can talk about emotional health, we can talk about spiritual health, and we can approach those from a uh, perspective of, I'm not as healthy as I want to be, and how can I get better? But when it comes to mental health, there's a lot of stigmas around it, and it gets treated like an all-or-nothing thing, and it often seems almost like it's treated like you know, it can't be fixed. You know, you, you have good mental health or you don't. And I, I, those aren't the right conversations. And that's not the way we need to be approaching mental health. And I think this is an enormously important issue that goes much, much deeper and much, much further than one episode. But I'm excited to get started here. So today, therapist and coach Ellie Weinstein joins me to discuss some of the stigmas around mental health and why maybe those don't exist for the other types of health and what it's really like to work with a therapist. You know, we know the Hollywood version, but how do you go about searching for a therapist? What happens once you're there and how do you know if the therapy is working for you or not? We talk about the power of public speaking. We talk a little bit about relationships and we wrap up with just a brief conversation that, that I really love because it's around why the word normal does not really describe anybody. All right. I'm very, very excited to share this episode with you. Let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards. And of course, this is the show where we're looking for ideas, information, inspiration to help us get unstuck, get out of our own way, and really be able to move forward. Take that first step, take that next step. And today's guest is Ellie Weinstein. Ellie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Brock. Thanks for having me on. My name is Ellie Weinstein, and I am a psychotherapist. And I started Elevation, um, a way to connect with people, help people with their journey, help make mental health uh, and coaching a little more relatable, digestible, and attainable to as many people who are willing to reach out. Um, and it's something that I'm very passionate about. I love people, and I love helping people get from A to B. It's one of my biggest passions that I love so, so much. When we talk about mental health, and, and I'm actually excited <laughs> to have you on the show because this is a huge topic, and I've been wanting to get into it for a while because I think about it and I hear conversations about it it strikes me that there's some societal things that get in the way of us thinking and talking about mental health. And it, it almost, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, it's just my, my impression, but it almost feels like there, there's a stigma around the, the, the whole topic of mental health that doesn't exist when we're talking about physical health or emotional health or spiritual health. A hundred percent. It is a huge stigma, uh, which a lot of times stops people for even getting help stops people from telling others that they are struggling. And I do believe that the reason comes from people thinking that it's weird off that you're quote unquote crazy, that something is different about you that we cannot relate to. And statistically, most people that you are walking around and dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis are either struggling with anxiety, depression, and you don't even know it. And uh, they're going for help. But there's this weird thought of, oh, 
you go to therapy? What's wrong with you? Um, so yeah, there is a huge stigma about mental health in the conversation compared to physical and spiritual health. Yeah. Well, and it feels like that it is, we, we treat mental health or, or we think about mental health as binary and static. You know, it's, it's either, or either you have great mental health or you don't, you know, you're, you're kind of the, the you know, the, the, the crazy person. Um, mm-hmm. And that it's un, unchanging, unfixable, you know, it, it's, it's in one place. Whereas when we think about physical or emotional or spiritual health, we see it on a spectrum, you know, Hey, I've got a little bit of a cold allergies are affecting me today. You know, um, I'm feeling a little weak. I need to get to the gym and that's continually changing. You know, some days are better, some days are worse and we can, there's things we can do to improve it. But when it comes to mental health, why do we get stuck in thinking about it just from kind of this binary either or perspective? Any thoughts? Yeah, it's a great point. And I think it comes from a society um, expectation or view on mental health whether it's from movies, whether it's from stories, whether it's from something random that they might have heard that, oh, if you have schizophrenia, you can never, you can never survive. If you, if you have a diagnosis of bipolar, that's it, you're done with life. Um, anxiety is crippling. Depression is tough. And they are. Every single thing has its pros and cons and every single thing has its struggles. But um, there is medication and there is therapy that is proven to help and there are plenty of CEOs and successful people in this world that have schizophrenia, that have bipolar, that are struggling with anxiety and depression. I mean, you hear celebrities coming out day in, day out um, lately about their social anxiety, their um, depression that they struggle with, their suicidal ideations. It is something that can be treated, but physical health is something that you might be able to see the results better. Like uh, if you have a cold, you take DayQuil, the cold is gone. Um, If you have the flu and you get the flu shot, it helps it. If you have a stomach issue or you need a surgery, you get the surgery and the problem is fixed. With mental health, I think it's the issue is the long game versus the short fix um, that 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 is in the physical health compared to the mental health. So when we think about it that way, it, you know, and and I guess I'm, struggling a little around the, the question for it because you know one of the things that you had mentioned just a few minutes ago was that you know there, there are a lot of people with and we, we don't even have to get into bipolar disorder or anything like that you know just anxiety mm-hmm. and uh, d- depression and for you as a therapist where is the line if there's a line between yeah you know we all feel anxious from time to time mm-hmm. and wow you would probably really benefit from, you know, seeking professional help from, from a therapist about it. Is there a line there or is it more individual? I mean, how do you differentiate, you know, the, the same could be said for depression, like, Hey, we all get blue and yet there is a point where, wow, someone could really help you arrange those pieces in your brain uh, better. Yeah. There, I think there is a clear line in my head as a therapist not everyone can see that individually, but as a therapist, the line is, are you functioning the way you want to? And is it stopping you being the person you want to be, whether it's an adult and you can't get to work or you can't deal with your children or you can't pay the bills or you can't get out of bed, you can't walk your dog. If it's a child or a teenager and they're not going to school or they're avoiding tests and they're isolating and hiding themselves, there's a clear line where you're not functioning um, as the average person your age or what you should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And you feel to yourself, something's wrong. Something's off. Let me talk to someone. 
everyone gets anxious about some things. You know, most people don't like flying. People don't like dying. People don't like being sick. You know, people get sad when someone passes away or they lose a job or there's a divorce in the family or something or a sad movie. But that doesn't equal depression. A d- depression and anxiety is clinically when it stops you from functioning in your daily life the way that should be functioning. And when that happens, you should get help. So if someone wanted to, to get help or, or was thinking about it, you know, I suspect, and again, you know, I, I don't know, but I would imagine that you know, there, there's always a barrier whenever we're trying something new. And, and, you know, not, not even anything that big, like, Hey, I, you know, I'm new in town. I don't know which restaurants I'm going to like, which one should I go to? You know, we can get hung up on, on even that. Mm-hmm. But when we take that bigger to like, Hey, no, I need to find a therapist and I need to find a therapist that would work well with me. I suspect it could be daunting to even figure out, well, where do I even begin? You know, how would I go about doing this at all? So what advice would you have for someone to kind of start that search and how do you figure out kind of which therapist would work best with you in your situation? It's a great question. I think uh, I'm not sponsored by this at all, but like Psychology Today is a great website um, that helps you search by zip code, insurance, gender, specification of issue, age of the therapist, um, their specialties, and even style of therapy. Um, I know depending on, let's say, if someone has some sexual trauma or physical trauma, you might not want to work with the person who traumatized you, whether it's a male or female. Um, if you feel that you are more comfortable with a woman versus a man or a man versus a woman, that plays into your decision. Also, one of the biggest things is insurance. Can you afford it? Um, I have a, plenty of clients of mine who've had to stop because their insurance um, was done or they had insurance issues and they couldn't afford therapy because they would either rather pay for food or pay for therapy. And of course, there's a sliding scale in all these different systems. You want to make sure that it's something that's close to your house. So it's actually, you're actually able to go. It's like going to the gym. If you sign up for a gym that's 45 minutes away from your house, you're probably not going as often as you'd like, even if the price is great. So make sure it's close by and also make sure that therapy is affordable. And Um, Just because you start with one therapist does not mean you're locked in. It's not written in stone. So if you do not feel that you are clicking with a therapist, which which is one of the biggest things you need to click and vibe with a therapist, that you feel comfortable, you feel safe, you feel heard, you feel understood, and you feel like you can actually trust this person to talk about real issues and real things in your life and not feel like you are a problem or an issue, but that they're there to help you. You can go through between one and five therapists until you find the right fit. So what questions would you ask a therapist to help figure that out? Like, uh, is the ask, fit right? You can ask their specialty. Um, do they do therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is more about your thought process connecting to how you behave? Uh, dialectical behavioral therapy, which is balancing your emotions and actions. Do you, um, what insurance do you take? Um, what age group do you focus on? What issues have you worked with in the past? Uh, what population do you like to work with? Um, I know I work in a community clinic and I have no choice in the matter. Whoever comes through my, into my office, whatever comes to the clinic, um, we take because we're a community clinic and we're helping as many people as possible um, because there's such a huge need for mental health nowadays. 
that uh, I have no choice, but if I had a private practice, I would specialize with a certain age. I would be 13 to 30. Would that mean that if someone walked in my office and really needed help, uh, I couldn't work with a 32-year-old? Of course I could work with a 32-year-old, but it's all about the preference of the therapist and if you feel comfortable. Um, you know, there are certain certifications that are really helpful with trauma versus just a regular run-of-the-mill therapist. So you have to be very careful with who you pick and how you pick. And um, again, it's trial and error sometimes. Yeah, it, you know, it, and I just wonder about that, you know, just that, tr- that trial and an error, you know, kind of anting, adding to the dauntingness of it. Um, so, so there's some good thoughts there on how to approach it. You know, you don't have to get it right the first time. No one's going to be offended if, you know, you go, go talk to someone else. Uh, you know, as, as we were talking, I was just thinking, you know, we mentioned at the beginning here about the stigma around mental health. And I just started wondering, you know, because you mentioned you work at, at a community clinic, is the stigma different across different demographics? That's a great question. I'm sure there are plenty of research studies and really academic papers on this. I've found that mental health crosses all boundaries, all socioeconomic statuses, all walks of life. It's all about the person's willingness to come to therapy. That's really where it stems from. That's what I was kind of wondering there that, yes, you know, we'll, we'll all be affected, you know, just like we're affected in any type of health, we'll all be affected by, by mental health issues. Um, but are there, are, are there some of us that, that are just more willing to um, reach out and seek that help versus others who would think, no, you know, I'm not the type of person who does that. So that could also be a mixture of a pride thing and a cultural thing. There are certain cultures that I've studied um, where you stay in house, you don't talk about your issues with other people. How dare you? You need to stay in house. You need to talk with your family. Don't start spreading things and bringing this uh, shame onto our family and shame onto yourself. You should always stick within yourself and you can work it out with amongst the family. And there are some cultures that are very open about, um, therapy. There are religions that say, don't talk to other people about your problems. Keep it in house. There are some religions that are more open about it. Um, I'm not going to get into specifics. I don't want to offend anyone or, you know, throw anyone under the bus, but, um, there are a lot of, um, a, a lot of complex things and even genetics can play into someone's, um, ability to either suffer from a mental illness compared to someone else. What, what is it that you wish more people knew about mental health or working with a therapist? It's not as scary as people make it seem. One of the first things I say to someone when they come into my office is my goal is never to make them cry or to be angry or to be sad. It's not like the movies where you are lying on a couch and some person is sitting there and, hmm, how does that make you feel? And trying to get to the deepest, darkest parts of depths of your body and mind and soul. Therapy is about helping someone either have an objective perspective, an outside perspective, someone to help maybe connect the dots and give a viewpoint that you might not be able to see because you're involved in the situation itself. That's all it is, a voice to be heard and someone to listen to you when other people might not be listening to you in your life. And it can be scary, and there are moments that are emotional and dark and really intense, but for the most part, it's someone who supports you, who's in your corner, which is something that I think we all need and desire and really want. So what is that? Okay. So, I mean, cause you, you just mentioned that, 
you know, it's not like the movies. And, you know, it's funny because there's so many things that aren't like the movies. <laughs> you know, they're, they're movies, they're made up stories. Um, yeah. And yet that is probably the only perspective that most people have when they think about therapy or even just think about the broader topic of mental health. So I all think of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, it where it's it is this intense scary thing and um so walk me through what would, so what would it look like? Like if I were to come into a therapist's office and say, "Hey, you know, I'm just dealing with more anxiety than I know what to do with." Um, or, you know, depression or, or whatever. Um, but, but what would that typically look like? So we know it's not the Hollywood thing. It's not necessarily the, the couch and the outpouring of, you know, the recesses of your soul. What, what is the, the kind of the process that the first few sessions, the environment typically look like? And I, I know you're speaking very broadly for like, you know, all of therapy, but... Um, <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but I know it's broad, but just kind of in general, if I didn't know what to expect, what could I expect? Yeah, so also it depends on the person's layout of their office. Some people do have couches where you're sitting. Some people only have chairs. Some people have a desk in their office that they're sitting behind. And it's all about the therapist's comfortability uh, about their setup in their own office. I know if I would have a prior practice, it would be I would have my, my desk in another corner and have a space just for therapy so I can work at my desk, but at the same time have a comfortable space. Um, what it would be was, the, especially the first couple of sessions, is getting to know the someone. Because to be honest, therapy is a relationship, a professional relationship, but it's a relationship at its best. You need to know the person you're dealing with and be comfortable with the person sitting across from you. Because you are seeing a random stranger and expected to be like, hey, here are my thoughts. Here are my feelings. Here are my emotions. Here's who I love. Here's who I hate. Here's my story about this. Here's my story about that. You don't do that normally with random people most of the times. So it's a relationship that has to be built. So of the first few sessions I know from my end as a therapist, and I hope other therapists do this as well, and every therapist has their own style, it is about what brings you here? What's going on? Um, if you're not comfortable talking, that's okay. Uh, do you want the silent treatment and just to sit there and relax? I'll play music. It's just about comfortability. I know I've, I've had clients that, especially kids, who don't want to talk to me at all for the first couple of sessions. So we play, we play connect four, we play games, we play tic-tac-toe. We do something that kind of breaks the ice to feel comfortable with this random stranger who you're sitting with. Some adults are willing to talk right away. There is no concern. There are some adults that don't want to talk. And it's about just creating that safe place to know that I am here for you whenever you're ready to start talking, which is like any other relationship. So if it's relationship, if it takes time to build up to that point where as a patient, I know my therapist and the therapist knows me, how do I know when, yes, this is totally working or the middle category of it's not working yet, but it will, <laughs> you know, we just need to kind of build the relationship or the, you know what, this isn't working at all and probably best to move on, find another therapist, whatever. Yeah. So I would say, trust your gut. So if you feel that something's really off, just like with dating, I would give it two sessions unless there are really big red flags, like the person seems interesting in a bad way that you know more about them than they, than they know about you. Um, but I would give it a month at least to try it out. That means you're going to one session once a week. It's four sessions. 
And if your insurance is taken, they'll cover it. So at least you're not losing anything. You could get a nice, interesting perspective on some things that you might not have gotten just by talking to a friend. But if it goes more than that and you feel like something's off, it's not a problem to say, you know what? I'm not feeling this. That's okay. But I definitely would say give it a month. But I've had clients who don't open up for four months, but they wanted to show up every day. It wasn't my issue. It was their issue of opening up, but they came. So I guess it depends on the person as well. All right. Well, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit here um, because I know through your company, Elevation, you kind of start bridging, I, I guess, the ground between coaching and therapy. Is that a good way to describe it? 100%. So, well, first off, um, what, what would that mean in layman's terms? And, and where do you tend to focus most in this bridge? So, what that really means is that people, like you said before, and this really ties into why I started Elevation, people are afraid of therapy. But for some reason, they go to coaches for relationship coaching and business coaching and public speaking coaching and confidence boosting coaching and all these seminars. So I thought to myself, why not create something that has that, but with someone who's actually licensed to help someone um, with a backing of therapy, with a backing of training, with a backing of perspective and insight that a coach or a run-of-the-mill person who has an experience might not be able to give the same attention or insight or perspective as someone who's licensed. And the focus that I try to, to, to really hone in on is a few things. One is public speaking training, which is confidence boosting, self-esteem boosting, where I help people, whether it's a group, whether it's event, whether it's individuals, really hone in their skills of being confident with themselves and the strength they have to bring something to the table, whether it's in front of a class, work, or any speech that they're getting in front of. The other thing I like to focus on is mental health awareness, which I am a licensed person, so you can hire me or bring me out and talk in an event about mental health and whatever topic that you are interested in. Another thing I focus on is relationships. I do work with couples as a therapist. I am married for almost five years, and I've been through my own experiences of dating where I brought a licensed therapy background to help people who are struggling with dating, with their marriages, with their divorces, with being single, to help people get through whatever struggles they're having who are a little nervous about maybe going to a therapist or don't want don't have the time to really meet with someone weekly but only want to talk to someone once a month or once every couple of weeks so you mentioned the confidence boosting of public speaking how do you help people with that you know most people are just utterly terrified of the thought or most may be a strong word but it, how about many no it's, it's it's most and there is a famous seinfeld joke that he says that people would rather be dead than giving a eulogy at someone's funeral because death is the second fear compared to the first biggest fear is speaking in public because the the biggest thing is vulnerability people are afraid to be judged people are afraid to be looked at people are afraid to be nitpicked at what they're saying and what they have to offer so years ago i took an amazing course by dale carnegie uh, when i was studying abroad and it changed my perspective on what public speaking training is. It's basically about helping someone break out of their shell and be okay with whatever they have to offer at that moment. Whether it's silliness, we do a lot of silliness stuff and joking around 
It's basically learning how to be comfortable in your own skin and know that you actually can speak in public if you were able to do ridiculous things amongst a group. Um, I don't want to delve out all my secrets, but if you want to do some crazy things in front of the group and have a good time and hop like a bunny while yelling limericks, you're able to get up and give an academic or scheduled or prepared speech that you've worked on that has value, that has substance compared to um, just joking around and hanging out with friends. So I, I have a belief, personal belief, that when we think about our careers and we think about getting out of runways, that the single best skill that we can develop is public speaking. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I have my reasons for believing that, but, um, and you don't have to believe that, but uh, if you do agree with that, why is that the case? Why does public speaking do so much for us? Because it teaches you that you have a message to be heard, that you have a voice, it helps you relate with other people because as human beings, we are social beings. Naturally, we connect with other humans around us. If you can't speak to someone, if you can't connect with someone through what makes us different than animals, which is our speech, then it's very hard to be successful in a job, to be successful because you need to really get up there and go to your boss and say, hey, I want to raise or go to a coworker and say, you know, I really didn't like that you did that or go to a, a client and have a really big conversation about their account or their business or whatever job you're in, if you cannot talk to someone else and have the confidence to bring whatever you bring to the table and put it out there for someone else to hear, it's probably very difficult to be successful in the business world or whatever you do in your career. You know, this may uh, surprise people, and this is just anecdotal, uh, just my observation, but you know, one of the things that I hear about public speaking is, you know, oh, I'm an introvert, so I, I don't like to do public speaking. And yet I know a lot of professional speakers and people would be shocked to know how many of them are introverts and just how introverted they are. Mm-hmm. Why is it that so many, so many people who do a great job at speaking also happen to be introverts? I don't know if you've observed that or not. I, I never noticed that, but I would just maybe make an uh, educated guess that introverts are naturally very internal and thoughtful and very reflective and self-aware. So they're able to know what who they are and what they can bring, and they are able to turn on that switch to put those thoughts out into the world. Um, that's all it really is. And sometimes extroverts are so out there and so excited and so over the top they might not be able to collect their thoughts in an organized way for it to come out clear and um, in a concise manner. Um, but I do think that anyone has the ability to talk in public. I really do believe that. I know plenty of people who are extremely shy. I know people who are extremely scared to speak in public. And with the right help, with the right guidance, it could take a while, but I believe that people could get up and speak in public. It just matters on the conditions and their view on what they're, what they're putting out there. All right. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit here. And cause you mentioned relationship coaching mm-hmm. and I, you know, this is one of those topics that's so broad. I'm sure we could fill a couple of shows with it. So I may be asking too much in this next question, but from your observation, where do people tend to most get in their own way when it comes to relationships? That is a very big question. 
and I know it covers because you covered being single, being, you know, a couple working together, being a couple getting divorced. And so, I, I mean, I know that's a huge range, but I also suspect there are kind of some common denominators or common factors. Yeah, I think that some of the biggest factors that get in the way of healthy and successful relationships um, is classic like communication, but not just like, oh, can I talk to someone? It's about how you hear the other person, how you're able to take that person's emotions into play, how you can have a conversation with them when they're happy and when they're sad, um, how to listen to someone when they're talking to you. Um, and another thing is actually yourself, your expectations of the relationship can totally skew and throw off the course of the relationship. You can have a beautiful relationship, but if you expect it to be at a 10, but you're, you feel you're only at a seven, you're going to give up on it. Um, so I think yourself, your expectations and your perceptions of whether it's a Hollywood relationship, what love really means. Um, and sometimes there are people who struggle in relationships because of personality issues. And, um, and that can be something that is very hard to overcome. It's a lot, a bigger conversation, of course. You know, I heard someone say once that at best, any person is only going to be about an 80% fit for us. And yeah. we're in, and I don't know how true that is, but I'm willing to accept that just as I think about it. And one of the places where people get into trouble is they start looking at that 20% that's missing anyway, and they, they find someone else who fits that 20, other 20%, but totally miss that they're only 20%, you know, they, they, they mm -hmm. give up the whole 80% or that. And, you know, I don't, and maybe that's just a societal myth that the other person who is perfect for us is literally perfect for us versus, you know what, they, they, they tick most of the boxes that we need and that's probably sufficient. And I think a lot of the big problem with the, today's society and when it comes to relationships is this idea of there's so much out there. There are so many options. So if this person doesn't fill every box, let me go on this app. Let me go on this social media. Let me look at this thing. Let me look at that thing. Let me wait for the perfect person. And I do believe in what you said. I don't personally believe there is a perfect person. I think there is someone who is extremely compatible with you. And there could be other people who are compatible with you. And if you're willing to work through the, let's say, 20% that isn't perfect and still make it work, the relationship could be wonderful, magical, and amazing. But at the same time, if you keep comparing to the rest of the world or out there or look on social media and say, look at that perfect couple, look at this, you have no idea what's going on in their life. And I know one of the things that I suggest to some people is never to keep a list of who you've dated or all that kind of stuff, because then you go, well, this person was great in that aspect and that person was okay in this aspect and this person sucked then. Let me find the perfect like Frankenstein of the best spouse or best person I could possibly find which is very damaging with the person that you're actually in the relationship with now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, de definitely. Sorry. I was just uh, thinking for a second uh, about what you were saying there and yeah, that's pretty rough. And I, and I had never thought about just the, you know, the, the curse of so many options. Um, you it's, know, it's, I, it's a, it's like going to a store and there's a sale on everything. How do you pick? Like, you know, how do you, it's overwhelming when you have so many options versus a smaller selection. You know, we have, I don't even know half the apps that are out there right now, but you have match.com and Tinder and, and J swipe and all these other, I don't know, all these things that you can literally just sit there for hours and compare and contrast and pick and choose. 
And you have Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and all the connections that you made with your college, your high school, your work life that you can literally go for hours and days and months just trying to find the perfect person. And in the end, what it ends up doing is you end up not finding no one. Sounds pretty sad. And, and yeah, and it's, I mean, but, I'm, 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 I, well, I, I'd say I'm kind of depressed now, but uh, actually I'm kind of happy because, you know, I got married well before smartphones came out. So, you know, I didn't, I, I, I didn't suffer from that. Lucky you. Uh, <laughs> overwhelm of choices, but it, you know, it is so true because I am old enough to remember the days when there were three channels on the television <laughs> and you know, it, it was pretty easy to figure out what you wanted to watch. <laughs> yeah. And now um, you have TV, Netflix, Hulu, Apple TV, Disney plus, you know? Yeah. And you can just flip and keep going and keep trying to find the perfect show for you. And by the time you find anything, you know, it's time to go. Bedtime. Yeah. Um, all right, so, but but we have kind of hit on the idea that the communication, um, if it doesn't cure all ills, it, it goes a long ways in, in both understanding the other people in the relationship with, and even just being able to, um, I, I guess, better meet our own needs in our own life. You know, talking about public speaking or being able to be more assertive with our boss or our coworkers. You know, communicate what what our needs are. Mm-hmm. When we talk about mental health, so kind of looping back around and, and tying all this together here, it I can't tell from, from my seat whether we as a society, as a world, are suffering from more mental health challenges or if there is simply a greater awareness of the mental health challenges. And regardless, I guess my, my real question is, are there common factors that you see kind of underlying, you know, whether we're talking, and, and I don't mean kind of the genetic or the things that really can only be treated with medication, but more the maybe anxiety, maybe depression. Are, are, are there just factors in the world that contribute that to being more prevalent now? Yeah. Um, my wife told me a great quote by, I don't know if you know this guy, Ed Milet. Um, no. He's a great speaker. He's a wonderful, he's really a big business guy, a big mogul in the entrepreneurial world. His name's Ed Milet. And he said a great line on the podcast of Jenna Kutcher. He said, comparison is the thief of joy. Today's day and age, we are always looking. We are, myself included, we're on Instagram, we're on social media. We have this life and we have that life and we see someone else either being more successful or doing this or doing that. And you look at yourself and go, what the hell am I doing? Which can lead to anxiety, which can lead to depression. Um, I don't think that nowadays is any different than before. I do think that there just is a one, a bigger awareness of the issues and two people admitting the fact they have the issues and three, that the society we live in is really just causing us to feel overwhelmed, overworked, overtired, and just at our wits end, comparing ourselves to others and really not ha- and happy with what we have. If you are happy with what you have, no matter what life you, you, you were in, whether it's a poor life, a rich life, if you had a wife or children or didn't have a wife or children or a husband or a spouse or anything, but you were okay with what you were, if you were content, and okay with what you had, you would be you would be fine. You'd be great. But we're always comparing. We're always looking to the next thing. We're always overwhelming ourselves by the options and everything out there that I can do 20 things at once, which is awesome. 
that I can send an email, look on Instagram, make a phone call, send a text within a matter of minutes. But that also can be really daunting and scary at the same time. So I think it really is connected to the society that we live in and also a few other factors of us being more aware and being the fact that we do have issues that we, need, we are struggling with. You know, you, you mentioned the, the quote, and it reminded me of one by uh, Kierkegaard, and mm-hmm. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but that's okay. And, uh, but it's that anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. Oh, I love that. That's so powerful. Yeah. For, for me, that connects back to what we were just talking about, the idea of, you know, so many choices become overwhelming. Yeah. Um, you know, if I, if I don't have choices, if I don't have freedom in the decision, you just kind of make do. But, you know, when there's that freedom, when there's that pressure to choose the perfect whatever and the continual comparison that reminds us that maybe it's not as perfect as it could be, then, then you know, the anxiety starts setting in, the apprehension maybe. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm probably talking well out of my lane here and beyond my expertise, but... Um, that was a beautiful quote. Very great, it was a great connection. It really was. So as, as we wrap up here today, I mean, we, we've covered a lot of ground. We, you know, solved the country's mental health issues. You're welcome. And relationship problems and public speaking. Um, yeah. Um, so is there anything that we haven't covered that you, you wanted to make sure that, that we talk about or any questions I haven't asked you that, you know, you're really hoping I would, I would get to? No, I think we did a great job. I'm also a new dad and struggling as a father and a husband and all those other things like every other human and just trying oh, to do oh, the best I can in life. Well, we, we got to stop right there because you're a therapist. You're not allowed to struggle. You're supposed to have all the <laughs> Sur- answers. Isn't that how it works? Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Doctors do get sick and therapists do have issues. Crazy, right? I, I mean, to me, that kind of goes back to the idea that, that it's you know binary, that you, you, you have it or you don't, whatever it is. And misses the, yeah, we've all got issues. <laughs> you know, we've and all there, got challenges you know and, and life's And there are good things. days and there are good days and bad days. And something that I tell my clients a lot and something that I tell a lot of my buddies and friends and whoever I'm talking to, I, in my office, I hate the word normal mm. because there is no such thing. We all have something. We all have something. We really do. Whether it's uh, financial issues, whether it's marriage issues, whether it's issues with your children, whether it's mental issues, physical issues, we all have something. And we always say, oh, what's normal? This is normal. There is no normal because we're all, we all have our things. What's average? What's the baseline? Maybe. What is society's acceptance of? True. But normal? That's no one. Um, there's, a great, there's a great quote by uh, an Alice in Wonderland. One of my favorite characters in Disney is the Cheshire Cat. I can't, I'm going to totally screw it up. But he, and the gist of what his quote is, is that we're all, we're all insane here. In, in the Alice in Wonderland movie, we're all, we're all weird. We're all quirky. We all have something. You're not alone. You have something too, and so do we. So welcome. Well, that feels like a, a really good place to wrap up right there, because I think that's so true. Uh, you know, m- underscore it, mic drop. And <laughs> so where can people find you? If they want to find out more about you or about Elevation, where's the best place to look? So I have a website, elevation.org. I have an Instagram account, elevation underscore LMSW. And I have a Facebook group, Elevation. Reach out anytime talk to me, chat with me. I'm more than happy to help you and help you find the resources you need if I can help you and would love to just hear your story. Well, excellent. Well, the one question that I always ask all my guests at the end is, you know, you've dedicated your life to helping others. 
How can the listeners help you? What would your ask be of them? I would love if you can just share my stuff, check me out, see if you like it, click follow, like something, and just reach out when you can. Because the more people I contact with, the more people I help, the better I can grow my, my uh, organization, my company, and just do the best I can to help more and more people in this world. And listen to the All podcast. Right. Excellent. Well, we will wrap it up right there. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Imperfect Action. Now, I do have a personal request of you. Hopefully, you took as much from today's episode and today's guest as I did. I always get so much out of these conversations. And you know, we are all on this life journey together. And I believe together we have this tremendous opportunity to help others grow and improve just as much as we have the opportunity to help ourselves grow and improve. And so there are several ways that we can do this. And this is my, my simple ask of you. And that is to just simply share this episode with your friends and your family. I mean, email them or just share it on your social media channels. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Now, that's one of those little things that actually makes a really big difference in terms of reaching other people. And so I really appreciate your help. I'm on a mission to reach as many people as we possibly can to help them get unstuck, to help them move forward with those things that they're really excited about, whether it's in their business, in their careers, in their lives. Also, if you have questions about this episode, you have comments, you have topic or guest ideas, please contact me. You can reach me on Twitter or Instagram, and it's just simply my name. So at Brock Edwards, at B-R-O-C-E-D-W-A-R-D-S. Or you can email to Imperfect Action Podcast. That's all one word. Imperfect Action Podcast at gmail.com. Let's get started.